This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here today. Um, You know, what a... We did that video a couple of weeks ago, Gifty, and when I look at it, I'm, I'm hungry again. So I don't know, you know, we don't want to talk about too much about food because then you're, you're not going to really listen. So I really need you to listen today. You know, we've been in this series called Uncertain or Certain, Uncertain, Are We Certain? What is certain in this world? Well, I think this, the scripture teaches us what, it, what to be certain about. And, you know, in our pre-service prayer this morning, once again, I just want to remind you, at 9.30, if you're waking up at that time, get up a little bit early, show up here at 9.30 on a Sunday morning because you don't want to miss some of the times of prayer that we see God moving in our midst. And, you know, it's just interesting. We don't plan on what's going to happen in our pre-service prayer, but there's a theme, and the Holy Spirit speaks to people. And there's this incredible presence of what God is saying. And, and I think about the world we're living in. And man, there is nothing more than I need right now than his word in my life. Than his comfort in my life. You know, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. Or maybe this experience is new to you. You're not sure what church is about. You've never been to church. Grandma told you you should probably go to church, take your vitamins, and make sure you get good rest at night. I don't know, but you're here today. I want to welcome you. This is a place for you, Uh, and I'm certain of this. If you just lean into him today, listen for his voice, God will speak to you. And I believe he has a word for you today. And so if, you, if this is your first time, you haven't heard this series up to this point, we're in week seven in our series. In 1 Peter chapter four today is what we're gonna look at. So if you have your Bible or a smartphone, a tablet, or you can take a look at the screen today and follow along as we, as we go into this message. And I've entitled it Same But Different. I didn't know what else to call it. Okay, you know, like I can't come up with something really super awesome every week. But, you know, the very name of the, 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 the name Christian was given to the disciples in a town called Antioch because the culture saw that they were different, that there was something different about this group of people, and he decided to call them little Christs or Christians. Now, our neighbors, our colleagues, our friends, our classmates, all of the people that we know should have this sense or feel a sense that something is different about us because we're Christian, because to be Christian is to be different, right? So that's the idea here when we look at this scripture that Peter is driving home through the entire book that we've been studying. In fact, right from the beginning in 1 Peter 1.1, he calls us the elect exiles. Peter is writing in the Greek language, and the Greek word for exile means the close stranger. Isn't that interesting? So this, is, this idea is what we would call today an immigrant. Now, This word immigrant has become so politicized, even by some, maybe you would say, demonized. But let me say this. I am proud 
to be a child of immigrant parents. As you saw there, I was eating spaghetti. Okay. I don't know if spaghetti comes from Canada, but it's good. And uh, that means, you know, as a child of immigrant parents uh, that came from Italy many years ago with great courage and great dreams, they built a life under the grace of God that has become a legacy, an inspiration for my family and for many others. You may be an immigrant who has come to Canada, which means that on one hand, you are geographically close to people like me. But on the other hand, there's this sense of being different. Same, but different. See where I'm going with this? Maybe, maybe it's the way we talk or the cultural preferences, your food spices, the customs have not only added to what makes Canada, Canada, but they also state that you and I are different. You may live here, but you're not from here. And this is why Peter calls us exiles. While we live in this world, there should be a sense of where the way we talk and our actions should really indicate to all around us that we're not from here. There's something just different. Yes, we're geographically close to our, our classmates, maybe our coworkers and, and friends, but our behaviors should clearly communicate that we are immigrants. We're foreigners. We're aliens, as the Bible talks about. To be a Christian is to have dual citizenship. This is good news. We're both citizens of heaven and citizens of this world. That's what, is, what Paul meant when he wrote to the Philippians in our, that our citizenship is in heaven. We are different. Now, if there's one word today that I want you to write down that sums up the entire passage that we're looking at today, it's the word different. Different. Peter wants us to understand that following Jesus in this world means that we are entirely different. So as we look at 1 Peter 4, I want to focus on three areas today as we look at the scriptures. It reminds us that we're all different. First thing I want us to look at is that, that we're different in our actions uh, among the world. The first six, chapter, six verses of Peter will talk about this. We're, we're Number two, we're different in our associations to the world. And we're different in our pains. So let's look at being different in our actions. Let's go to the scripture. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 6 says this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for the evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body. But live according to God in regard to the Spirit. So in the first Six verses here, 
Peter pleads with us, the spiritual exiles, to, to be different in our actions among the world. We know this to be the case because he talks about uh, the way Gentiles act. Now, if you study the New Testament, you, you understand that oftentimes the writers use the term Gentiles to, to speak of people who don't know Jesus, people who are of the world. Now, what does that really mean? I mean, maybe you've heard this growing up. If you've been in a Christian home at all. I mean, I heard this as a little boy. Don't be of the world. It's worldly. What does it really mean? If the world is bad, what exactly is the definition of the world? Is Peter, you know, Peter and the writers of the New Testament, are, are, are they talking about trees and the earth and, and maybe dirt roads? Are those things bad? No, not at all. In the New Testament, world is used many times to, to speak of a system which runs in contrast to the ways of Jesus. For example, in John 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if the world hates you, well, keep in mind that it hated me first. Or in Romans, Paul says that Christians are not to be conformed to this world. Writing in his letter to the followers of Jesus, John says that we're not to love the world or the things in the world. What's obvious is in none of these instances are the writers referring to our physical environment. It's not what it's talking about here. But they're speaking figuratively of a system that is in contrast to Christ and his kingdom. I want you to get this today. All right, so, so now that we all know what this word world means, how does this exactly play out in our lives today? Now, this is the question that has really led the church down some very strange paths throughout world history. Some have said Christians should give up completely on the world and, you know, just go retreat into what we call now monasteries. Like, just go, like, find a, a tree, hide there, or whatever. Now, in recent years, there's been some church movements. It was to, you know, push or immerse ourselves into the world. So you had churches that were led by, I don't know, let's just say aggressive pastors who were intense, right? And who would, you know, be very intense to make a point and placed a high premium or high calling on, on relevance, which was code for just looking like everyone else and trying to fit in. Now, when I was a kid, I could remember the church culture that I was raised in. And if you were raised around my age, I'm not going to tell you my age, okay, so don't even ask. Where it was a sin to play with a deck of cards. Anybody? You know, like, yeah, yes. Do not look at the cards. They're of the devil. Or to go dancing. You could not dance. Dancing was wrong. I don't care if you have moves. I don't care. It's not, it's not what God wants of Christians. No dancing. And it was way off limits to go to the movie theater. You sinner. 
All of these things were described as worldly, right? The funny thing is that we could watch a movie if it was on television or the local video store. Now, if you're under 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say jumbo video or blockbuster. You just have no idea. You have no idea the pain that we had to go through. Going to the store to get a video, but they gave you free popcorn, so it was kind of cool. Anyway, wait. This way of thinking was really led to legalism or moralism, which means that my spiritual value and worth is, is not placed in the finished work of Jesus, but whether I do all the things right. This is not what Peter is talking about. This is not what he's talking about when he challenges Christians to be different among the world. The relationship of Christians to the world is like a boat to water. Boats were made to interact with water. Specifically, to be on the water. But while the boat was made to be on the water... It was not made for water to be in the boat. Are you hearing me now? And so it is with followers of Jesus. We were created. Our faith was designed for us to be in the world, just not to be of the world. So what exactly is this worldliness? Well, Peter takes some time to give us some examples as to what exactly worldliness looks like. And in verse 3, now we don't have time to, to look at every word line by line here, or every phrase here today, but I want to get you to look at something that is common to all the descriptions of worldliness. They all speak to a person whose lifestyle is governed by their appetites in this world. Worldliness, then, is, is being consumed by the moment. Worldliness, as Peter describes, is not just enjoyment, but it's a fixation it's a fixation on this life, leading us to exchange God for God's gifts. We're going after his gifts, not going after God. We want the things, not the one who gives the things. Maybe you've experienced this personally in your life or have children who have pushed the boundaries at times to see how close we can get to the world, right? rather than how close we can get to Jesus. I remember how Christians used to make me feel when I was younger, if I would listen to the radio or the top 40 countdown, rather than focusing all of my you know, music listening enjoyment on Christian music. If it wasn't Toby Mac, or Maverick City, you were going to hell. <laughs> and we laugh. But let's not get fixated. Fixed on the ways of this world, but the one who created this world. Is there an amen in the house today? Amen. Just keep in mind, if you're going to push the limits on things, push them towards Jesus, push them towards his kingdom, not this world. Christians should act differently among the world. That's what Peter's getting at. That's the point today. And if there's an amen in the house, go ahead. Now's your time. All right. 
Next thing he's looking at here as we look at the scripture in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, talks about we need to be different in our associations. What does that mean? Let's read it here, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, following Christ means that we not only act differently among the world, but that we are different in our associations or in our relationships in the world. That's what the scripture is looking at here today. This is what Peter talks about in verses 7 through 11. Peter is writing to the status-obsessed culture. There's this society which was very hierarchical in nature, where classes didn't mix. Never was this more clearly seen than who you shared meals with. That's why we're getting together in just a couple weeks. We're going to share a meal together. We're going to talk to one another. We're going to have a panel of people who are going to discuss what it's like to be from a different place, to be seen differently, to be treated differently. Because this matters, people. In a world where there's so much division, there's so much hatred, so much bigotry, there is so much pain, your words matter. And how you speak to people and what you say absolutely matters. You see, the rich would never eat with the poor. A higher class would never share a meal with a lower class. Never. Meal times were opportunities to either increase or entrench your social status. This is why Jesus, he was constantly being questioned and challenged for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Can you imagine eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus refused to relate to people the way that people in the world related to each other. And so he sits with a Samaritan woman at a well. He invites himself over to a tax collector's house for dinner. Like, if you don't know the history here, that's a no-no. Let me just go there. Like, that's just not something you would do. And he's been called the friend of sinners? What I want us to see today is that worldliness navigates relationships through this transactional lens. You know, what can I get out of it? Instead of a value lens, seeing everyone as valuable, regardless 
of what you get in return. You know, this is such a huge principle. And Jesus said in Luke 14, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So, how are we as Christians supposed to look different than the world? Well, we do not do relationship from a transactional posture. We share our lives with people who seemingly bring nothing in return. That's how we are to function. So let me ask you this question, and I'm asking myself this question. I'm not just pointing the finger. I'm speaking this to all of us today. Who in your life, who is it in your life that you're in community with today, that when other people see you break bread together, it raises all sorts of questions and makes others feel uncomfortable? Is there anybody like that in your life? Who are you willing to walk with that's not in your tax bracket? You could not afford to live in your neighborhood, let's say. Not who are you sending money to and being generous to, but who are you sharing your life with that's turning heads, that's making people stop and say, what? what? Why would they do? They're eating with tax collectors? Sinners? I thought they were good Christian people. Because that's odd. And that's different. What does this look like for us? Well, Peter spells it out for us. What it looks like for Christians to relate differently to the world. He begins by saying that we should keep loving one another earnestly. Now, I don't use this word earnestly often. But earnestly was a word sometimes used in ancient Greek literature of a horse who run, ran as fast as he could to the point of exhaustion. Earnestly to the point of exhaustion. So Peter doesn't just call us to love, but he says to love to the point of exhaustion. How many of you have been loving lately? You just love to the point of exhaustion. No, we usually love and then we're like tired and like, I need a breather here. Can I have a five-minute break here? Where, you know, what to do. Love to the point of exhaustion. In our, in our love, Christians should have greater stamina than the world. Love to the point of exhaustion. People who hold different, listen to this. Listen to this today. So important to hear this. People who have different political views are of a different ethnicity who have different quirks like they snort I don't know they're just not like you don't be so quick to give up on people because they're not like you don't be so quick to cancel them. To say, you're done. I don't believe the same way as you. I don't think like you. You're not like me. You don't even smell like me. 
Well, maybe thank God for that. Okay. <laughs> Keep loving one another earnestly. Peter says that we should show hospitality. The word for hospitality is this, it's a compound word, which literally means love for stranger. Showing hospitality and entertaining are two different things, okay? Entertaining can become about me. But showing hospitality is using our resources for the benefit of others and the glory of God. Showing hospitality can have a deeply transformative impact on people's lives and souls. Let me share with you a story that maybe help you understand this. Her name was Marguerite Johnson. And tragically, she experienced deep trauma as a child. She was abused. This was so traumatic, she actually stopped speaking. She shut down. At the same time, one of the most respected women in her town, Mrs. Flowers, reached out and invited Marguerite Johnson for some tea and cookies. Remember this, tea and cookies. This turned into a weekly ritual where Mrs. Flowers would show love to the stranger, ask her about her life, and encourage her. Soon, Marguerite began to speak. Come on. And then wouldn't stop. She found her voice. You may have heard about Marguerite, but not by this name. You may know her by the name Maya Angelou. A world-famous author, a speaker, a speaker, a civil rights activist who made her living through the command of words. Oh, come on. What changed this mute into a wordsmith? A little tea on cookies. I mean, I get the cookies part, but the tea just doesn't do it for me. But showing hospitality has the power to change, to transform lives, people. When was the last time that we served a little tea and little cookies to someone who you seemingly couldn't get anything in return from? And finally, Peter says to serve one another. Here he's speaking specifically of the local church and spiritual gifts. God has given each of us gifts to be used to better those around us. Now, why would we love to the point of exhaustion? Show love to the stranger by being hospitable and use our gifts to build up the body. Peter says, because the end of all things is at hand. You'll only commit yourself to this selfless kind of lifestyle in this world if you have the next world in mind. I want you to hear this from C.S. Lewis. He said this, he said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who, who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth be, precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world 
that they had become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Isn't that good? Where your focus is placed matters. Your associations, your relationships matter and can make an incredible difference. Let me go quickly here. Third thing I want us to understand from this scripture as we look at verses 12 to 19, that we need to be different in our pains. Scripture says this in verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a bedlar. Let's be clear today. If by suffering you mean going through hard times, everyone has to suffer. But Peter is talking about something else here. You see, murdering and stealing were capital crimes in the Roman Empire. The punishment for these things was suffering. What's clear here is that Peter is talking about Suffering, not something that is due to us because we live in this fallen world. Instead, he's talking about suffering for the cause of Christ. And that's what he means by this fiery ordeal in verse 12. Whenever we go through the pains of this world, Peter wants us to know that we should not be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. I think this is something we don't really understand living in North America. Living in the North American context where everyone just thinks we, we should just be happy. Happy, clappy, happy, clappy. That's our life. Wow, we're, we're from the West. So when pain or when suffering comes, when we're faced all kinds of trials and tribulations as the, the Bible talks about, it throws us. It surprises us. Like, this shouldn't be happening. Don't they know who I am? Don't they know where I'm from? Peter says, don't do that. Let's get some perspective here. Stop and realize that you have an, op an opportunity to display the glory of God. Verse 16 says, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear my name. This doesn't mean you can't cry or you can't be disappointed, but at some point, check our perspective and ask yourself, how can I give God glory? And don't get me wrong here. Listen to me today. I'm not saying that you live some sort of strange existence where you say things like, oh, well, my loved one died and so God could get all the glory. But let's wrestle through this perspective with the Lord and realize that we can be different in our pain. And don't try to avoid it. 
It's part of being a Christian. Verse 13 addresses attitude. When my perspective is right, now my attitude is right. Now I'm positioned to do what Peter says, and that is, verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I, I found out that the word rejoice comes from the same family of words as grace. And when I really reflect on the grace of God in my life, even in the midst of suffering, that triggers joy. And joy in the midst of life pains is such a witness. And some of you in this room today have gone through deep, deep, deep suffering. And yet in the midst of suffering, there is this joy that can only be explained by the miracle of God's provision and his power in your life today. That he is your witness. It's because of his strength in you that you can do it. Joy says, I will not be a slave to my circumstances. Can you cry and feel pain? Yes. But even then, there's hope that the glory of the Lord finally will be revealed. Finally, Peter says that when you go through pain, we should entrust. We should trust him. Now, this word means to turn over for safekeeping. Word in trust. Turn over for safekeeping. It's actually what we do when we make a bank deposit. When we take a picture of that check, you know, you got your smartphone, take a picture of your check, and you deposit it or go and fill out the deposit slip, and, and you leave the money in the bank, you put it in the machine. You're not worried about what's going to happen. We're not frantically checking to see if it's all there, if all the money went into the bank, right? No, we, we turn it over. We walk away, and we know it's in a safe place. You know what worry is? It's going back and trying to take what you've deposited back. Let me say this today. Leave the health diagnosis in God's hands. Leave the relational issue that you're dealing with in the trust of the Lord. Leave all your fears with Jesus today. Yes, we pray, we intercede, and we trust. But leave all the worries in the hands of the Lord. Refuse to be a victim of worry. Refuse to be a victim of fear. Trust in the love of the Lord because perfect love casts out what? It casts out all fear in Jesus' name. So let me remind us all that Jesus modeled all these things for us. No one lived a more compellingly different life than him. He was in the world, but not of the world. He related to people differently and offered a whole new relational paradigm. And because he suffered well, you and I can have eternal life today but I don't want you leaving this place feeling like I have to work really hard to be different. No. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are different. Go ahead and say it. I am different. 
Now look at the person to the left or the right of you and say, I am different. You live into a new nature. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, was concerned because they were allowing the ship of their faith to fill up with water of the world. So he reminds them in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 that their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What makes them different is ultimately their behavior. It isn't their behavior, but it's, it's those, he who dwells inside of them, the Holy Spirit. Let me get you to understand this for, for a minute here before we close. Imagine visiting a foreign country and you find yourself standing outside. You're in a line outside of this ancient home. It's a long line. It's, it's hot. You're sweating. You ask someone why all these people are here and after all, you've seen bigger homes, better homes. So what's the big deal? Someone says, what's the big deal? The big deal isn't the size of, or the looks of the house, but the big deal is who lived there. Jesus of Nazareth. That's what makes the house different. And that's what makes you and I different today. It's not our morality or work ethic. What makes us different, Paul tells the Corinthians, is that we're saved by grace and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, enabling us to relate differently to the world. And that's how we're sane, but different. Allowing God to take who we are in the world and make it become an example a reflection of his glory in the world. Not stay away from those Christians that are weird. They're so strange. No. Like, what's up with those Christians? I want to know who they are. I want to get to know how they live, what, what they do, what makes them different. They're weird, but there's something different I like about them. That's what God is calling us to do today. Let me pray for you today. All across this room, would you bow your head? Just close your eyes. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you that you are transforming our thinking. You're revealing new things about who we are in you today. And I pray for the individual in this room today that is saying, Lord, I need you. I want you. I'm, I don't know what to do in my life, but I recognize I need a relationship with you today. So Jesus, would you come and fill me to overflowing Help me to be more like you. I receive you now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.